welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. It is time to settle into another episode of Cannon Fodder. Joe here. And Troy. And we are back to bring you Cannon Fodder number six. Number six? Wow. I can't believe it's been six weeks already. And this is going to be the last one. So sad. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drag your negative energy into Cannon Fodder. Next to last. (laughs) Now that's thinking positive. (laughs) Welcome back, guys, to our weekly recap and behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon podcast. We are fresh off of episode 60, oh, a sort of, sort of quasi-milestone. We had some fans sure. out there that were like, I think it was on the Twitch. They were like, hey, how about making 60 uh, a special, you know, three-hour episode? <laughs> Where's the champagne for 60? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we should just do champagne every episode, like we I really said. Should. That was a good time, um, <laughs> except for all the character death. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't drink and play. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, well, we let's take a look at episode 60 first, right out of the gate. I mean... Hope you like cliffhangers. <laughs> what a cliffhanger! <laughs> oh, my God! You could cut the uh, air with a knife, the tension, the tension in the air towards the end. I mean, as I was talking, I just I could feel you guys <laughs> clenching up. <laughs> yeah, it was... To, to hear that, you know, that's one of those things that... Now, that comes up in episode 38... Is that 38? Episode 38. Tog of War. Tog of War. Um, I'm going to sound like an idiot if it's not, but I'm pretty sure it is. I did not look that up before we hit record here. But I think it's episode 38. It comes up. And that was one of those things. And you've talked before on Cannon Fodder Mm -hmm. about you coming up with stuff on the fly. You you talked about the relationship between Tog Tog and and Halrex that you came up with on the fly during the interrogation because you were like, I wanted a to throw a red herring at you. Mm. That conversation that I had with Tog it came up off right off the cuff as well. It was, you know, you would put him in a prison cell and I knew I was going to be looking after him for a little while. And I just wanted to kind of try to intimidate him. I right. wanted to see if I could get him to talk by intimidating him. But also, like, I, I also felt like you were, not to go back to that, but you were also trying to relate to him. Like, I've made mistakes too. Yeah, I mean, you know? it, it was more so like I, I was trying to say, th- you're not going to get out of here with with a deceiving me right right like even if you deceive me today i'm gonna find you it was like in that kind of idea and i was just like you know how can i come up with a quick story about this something he did whatever and so i just threw that out there now what was so cool is we talked about ultimately obviously skid and grant and matthew knew about that but their characters didn't that was between you and tog and you maybe you've never told anyone else maybe you never told your son that was a secret Right. And now it's out. It was this total secret, and it is, what, 20, 22 episodes later, you remember this, and you bring it up again out of nowhere. I was I was not expecting that at all. So now I have to be Bob and Scat to what what is Lork thinking now? Mm. You know, I'm sitting here waiting to record the next episode, and I'm just like, he's got to be angry. He's got to be furious. Like, nobody knew about that. Yeah. So... Well, I'm interested to see where it goes, but but I mean, I guess mainly the thing is, who knows this? You know, that's that's the thing. Right? Who is and this person giving this right. information? And it has to be this whatever from episode 59. This this cleric person who is healing, who is a captive healer of the of Umlo or whatever, is. But you know, who are they? Somebody from Lork's Pass? Somebody from Trunau? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you. You keep looking for uh, answers. <laughs> I'm going to try every week until you crack. Yeah, I'm really going to mess up one of these days. And be like, it's uh, 
This person. You know, we should drink for cannon fodder, and then I could get it out of you. <laughs> for cannon fodder 50, we'll have champagne. Well, let's uh, let's not uh, go in reverse order here. Let's let's go all the way back to the beginning of the episode. Begin the beginning. It starts off with Ingra Hill sort of wanting to get uh, help Umlo, see yes. Umlo, almost to an irrational level where you're like, why are you going to just walk out there in the middle of all? Like, I understand your love for your brother. I understand your guilt at bringing him out here for your own desires, your own mission. But really, you... You can't wait until the coast is clear or you know it's safe. You're going to sacrifice yourself. So my question is, I'm going behind the scenes right away. Ah. I want to know, were you? did you keep pushing that button because you just really wanted us as players to go see what was going on out there because either you had it prepared better or it's going to make for a better way for us into the fort or something? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's going on? Uh, I really wanted you to be torn in two directions because you went to such... Uh, extreme lengths oh not even extreme lengths but it was a harrowing experience sneaking into the fort ripping off the grate getting in there and now you're in the fort and I wanted there to be and it felt like there was something had closed there like there was a certain closure we were like okay we're in we're in and now we we know what we're doing now we're gonna move in from the inside and take it out from the inside but you wanted to I just want throw something else I think it's very interesting for you guys to be torn in an opposite direction and then decide are we going to stand resolute and continuing moving forward or are we going to take Troy's bait and maybe uh, maybe it's maybe I'm leading you into a trap maybe I'm not you know you'll just have to find out you know that's actually something I was thinking in general as a GM do you ever do things like that as a sham like specifically absolutely to lead players to get them confused about what to do even though there's nothing there right it's just it keeps you guessing because a lot of times i think as a player you're like "Ah, i figured this out it's a little railroaded we got to go from point a to point b to point c so just i think mixing it up sometimes and having you go in the complete wrong direction or and i'm not saying that's what the case is here it just makes it feel more dangerous you guys you can't trust me and that's good that's why gms have to pay very very close attention to the details of a character's backstory yes because i also think it's great. I I want to say this carefully. I, I think it's great to create that tension and indecision and disagreement between the players. Yes. If you can give one of their characters, because of their backstory that you know, some specific thing that would motivate them to go another another direction, not necessarily alone. Mm-hmm. They want the group to go with them, but they want to prioritize this part of the mission, and another character wants to prioritize another part of the mission. You're getting into very muddy water there, though, yeah. because you don't want to just have your group devolving into petty arguments over, you know, who's got the right side of what motivation. You know, you want them to do it in a healthy way, but it, it creates interesting story whenever characters are torn about the motivations for their objectives. That That's good story. And then throw in an NPC who has an opinion as well, in this case, Ingrahild, and it just makes things even more complicated for you guys. And that's what I try to do because I, I think sometimes one of my faults as a GM is I don't give enough life to the NPCs just because I'm I'm focusing on too many other things. And their, uh, and their accents are abysmal. They're all they're kind of the same. <laughs> I'm working on that. Uh, they're but, either Boston or shitty English. <laughs> shitty British. Shitty British. Uh, shittish. Uh, I, what was I going to say? Oh, so so part of, of me doing this with Ingrahild is just to breathe more life into her, make her a part of this group. And she obviously made her choice, and uh, but now she's back, and she has some tales to tell. I can't believe she got out and back in. What, what she roll a natural 20, pulling that grape back off, pushing it out? Come on. I, I doubt you're rolling for it. <laughs> um, I just want to add on to that, that uh, a good example in a game that I was running, a character... 
um, died. We had a character death. Mm. And the new character that the player decided to bring in was of a race that one of the characters ha- uh, in the group, one of the players, had made a thing that they were racially, uh, they were racist against this one race. What was it, a tiefling? It was a tiefling, yeah. <laughs> it's always a tiefling. Nobody likes tieflings. Nobody likes tieflings. And, and this player's whole thing was, my character is anti-tiefling. And there were some enemy tieflings in the adventure. And so this player was like, you know what I'm going to do? And it wasn't as a, you know, fuck you to the guy. It was as a, to make the story interesting, to make the characters have to work together despite their differences, despite their prejudices. And it created some really interesting interplay. But you have to make sure that you have mature players Mm -hmm. that are going to work together to make a good story and not literally get personally angry at each other. Yeah, over I mean look at Lorcan Fantasy races. There's no reason Lorcan Baron should be friends. And at first they really weren't. They're yeah. trading insults, trading uh, jibes with each other. But now, sixty episodes later, they would die for each other. Yeah. Now um, it's and like, that's interesting. Yeah, and that and that comes up. That comes up in episode sixty, the, the first time that Lork is executing his his ability to have Barry Connick Jr. defend he has him defend Baron because Baron's doing a lot of damage with right. a ranged weapon. And he's like, I can use the bear to kind of keep people off of him. And it just, it helps to, and even Della positioned herself in a way, you know, she's a shadow creature. What does she know about dwarves or orcs or lorks or lorks? <laughs> orcs or lorks. Orcs or lorks or whatever. <laughs> she positions herself in a specific way to be able to defend either Baron or Lork, whoever needs it first, you know, at the start of that combat. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I want to talk very briefly about the skeleton. That we found. Yeah. I, I don't want to say it was glossed over because really what it was was there wasn't really enough information, but I find it very interesting that there was a ring with the heraldry, a sigil ring with the heraldry of Carolian Blix on it. So this is the paladin of uh, the Knight of Ozum who right. we saw at that way station, at the way who, station right. who had been beaten up uh, pretty bad by some orcs. We defeat those orcs, save her question her she gives us the map obviously we have this whole background about her grand grandfather great grandfather great great grandfather whatever really escaped from this fort right uh, and, and under auspicious circumstances mm-hmm. he won't talk about it he never talked about it to her grandfather or her father you know that the, the story was not passed down it was kind of a hush hush operation so i wonder you know how did this it looks like a kid boy right die you know is it did, did one of them have to kill the other one to get out right. did did uh, did it happen during the attack on the fort did some giant just throw this kid down and break his neck mm. you know there's a lot of uh a lot of options and i i wonder if it's one of those things that is you know going to be solved or if it's just one of those things that like cuz there are in pre-written modules there's great backstory i mean look at um Awiga, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and there was no way for us to find that out unless, you know, we had a huge standoff where we just t- told each other our backstories as we fought. Right. Other than that, how are you going to find out that great backstory? I don't know if we're going to find out anything about this random skeleton, but I did think it was cool that it was connected to some way right. to this family. And I think you had a, a theory on it. So it'll be interesting to see how spot on or off you were. What was it? Uh, I was kind of just out. spouting. Uh, you, you thought that maybe it looked like they got stuck. The boot got stuck. And oh, right. Fell. There was a boot. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So maybe the boot, they were climbing down or he was climbing down and got stuck and fell. Um, so we're just trying to figure out, you know, who, who this person is. And, and if we go far enough in 
And, you know, let's say we are actually successful and Lark doesn't die and we clear the fort and we kill whatever, whatever her name is, the big giant. Um, I want to know what happened to that skeleton. If yeah, you well, out. maybe I'll have to just tell you on Cannon Fighter if you never really find out. But one thing I was going to say is that I like when you guys, as players, uh, discuss things aloud. What's going on here? And you give your opinions. And sometimes I'm listening to you and I know you're completely wrong, but it gives me ideas on how I can change things or adapt things. And sometimes you're spot on. Uh, so it's it's always good. And I think it engages I, yeah. players more when they hypothesize with each other. Whenever they, the GM, One of the big GM rules is when the players start talking amongst themselves, shut up. And I so I've been trying to uh, adhere to that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and we do this, honestly, off off uh, mic. We do it when you're not around. We do, we've do. we done it. I, I can remember specifically during the attack on True Now, there was a time on air that uh, Skid had said, he believed that there was something under the city, right? And mm-hmm. he ends up many sessions later getting a bottle cap for it because he was right. And you hadn't said yes or no. You didn't like lead him on or anything. You just let him talk about it. And he was right. So you gave him a bottle cap. Well, we had email discussions between the four of us that you weren't even on about God. the the uh, graffiti, what that meant. Mm-hmm. You know, were they marking digging sites? Were they trying to find whatever was under the city? And that is so fun to do as players. And it helps to generate you know, uh, possible outcomes and to help you decide what to do as characters. You know, if you get to a place where you think you're at a, on the same page with what is actually happening, you can make better decisions about what to do next mm-hmm. and not just be like, oh, kicking the door, kicking the door. You're, you're, you're thinking more about the story and, and what is coming up. Um, speaking of kicking in doors, uh, we try to get off a surprise round on some what end up to be Ogrekin, right? Ogrekin? Ogrekin, yeah. Is that the right term? Do you, what, what do you know about Ogrekin? I mean, as a, as a GM, I mean, what, are they... Obviously, they did pretty nasty damage. They're gruesome-looking creatures. Oh, mutated. They're, I mean, you, you, if you know anything about ogres, and talking about, about traditional old-school D&D monsters, I mean, ogres are disgusting inbred creatures. So ogrekin are like the spawns of even more inbreeding, inbreeding with other species. And you guys find out that they have giant blood in them. So maybe it's like ogres copulating with giants and giants copulating with, uh, you know, more ogrekin. And then you get these malformed, disgusting creatures. Yeah. And you knew there'd be orcs. You knew there'd be giants. Now there's weird ogrekin? What's going on? Yeah, it's... there, and, and to think that something like that could even be intelligent enough to, you know, be on a watch or anything, I, I don't really get it just yet. But we get up there and we think, we see them before they see us. Let's get a surprise round off on them. And we are... We have to execute the real Pathfinder rules for surprise rounds, which we had done incorrectly for a long time. Now, right. I, I maintain that I thought we were intentionally doing it incorrectly because I know... I knew the rule, and you knew it at one point or another because we've did. played it before, but we just started playing, you know, when you go in, you have the whole round. Now, we covered it in the episode. It's either a move action or a standard action or whatever in that surprise round. And look what it did. I mean, it, it didn't really do anything for us. We had no. the surprise round, and all that happened is Lork moved up to the thing, and then it just smashed Lork on its first turn. <laughs> right. But, you know, the Talk other... Talk about th- best laid plans. Exactly. Complete. All right, here's the plan. Let's do it. Everything falls apart. <laughs> Everything falls apart immediately. <laughs> so Lork, within the first two rounds, takes 39 points of damage Ooh. i'm sorry it wasn't even two rounds he came, he came up took 21 i believe points of damage and then went to grapple him because he wanted to try to question this thing it's like what's going on in this fort grab one of the guys that's working in the fort and find out you know where is grensel deck where are all the orcs hiding blah blah whatever and he provokes an attack of opportunity for trying to do the grapple you know i'm trying to make an interesting right. story and he bam 18 points of damage 
this is just round one. 39 points of damage. I so appreciate you, by the way. You forgot that that was going to provoke, and uh, you let me hit you without you being like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. Right, right. Just, you, know, you did it. That's the, You called it. You took your hand off the chess piece, and I appreciate you letting me maul you. Yeah, especially when you know you know, you know, know it's a feat. It's, it's a feat. You take improved grapple or whatever, and then it doesn't provoke it doesn't an attack provoke, of opportunity. Yeah. It's like a thing you can be good at. Lork's not good at it, nope. as it turns out. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I, I want to actually do something here uh, based on this this discussion that we haven't done on Cannon Fodder before. Uh, I mean, we haven't done really anywhere before. And that is, I would like to, and I'm going to surprise you here as well. I'm nervous. Uh, I want to give a little snippet of Lork backstory here that I put together that uh, we have not discussed. Oh. And that, you know, and we do this kind of stuff, but we've never recorded it before. You know, it would if I came up with something that I wanted to be uh, an idea that maybe you would use or not use in the future. Send me an email or something. Yeah, I'd send you an email. I'd be like, oh, here's something that I think might be interesting for Lork's backstory or how Lork got to be like this or like that or someone he knows, some NPC that maybe could be brought back in the story. And there's been some that you've just flat out been like, you know, nah. Right. Like, I'm not going to, I don't find that interesting. And that's because we work together on it. Right. right. Well, I'm going to throw some at you right now, live, on air. Wow. You this can... is a Lork exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> a lore exclusive. Hashtag lore exclusive. Uh, and you can tell me what you think. We can talk it out a little bit if you want, or okay. uh, you can just kind of digest it and, and uh, you know, we could talk about it more down the line or even have it come up on the show. I don't wow. know. Without even knowing it, I'm assuming it's garbage. <laughs> well, that's, but, why, uh, uh, that's why you're a good producer. You really <laughs> make sure you hold yourself to a higher standard. Okay. All right. I'm nervous. So... This goes back to when Lork was a kid, right? In Trunau, in the outskirts of Trunau, it's a rough, rough upbringing, right? A lot of orphans, orphans that have to band together to survive, whether it's stealing food, uh, finding places to stay uh, out, of, out of the weather, blah, 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 whatever. And Lork was a real punk, too, back then. Well, yes, but this story takes place when Lork is six years old. Oh. So he barely has the time yet to be that much of a, of a hard ass. I think this is one of the things that kind of led him in that direction. Mm-hmm. So there was a boy in Trunau during this time who was famous among these crews for being uh, just a nasty bastard. And they called him the Bone Giant. He was not a giant. He was just a kid, but he was probably, I would imagine, maybe he was 14 or 13 when Lork was six, but he was huge. He was so much bigger than the other kids. And he, he was stupid and violent and... Uh, but he got himself a crew because he was big and strong and tough and like that's that's what you know that's what led people back then and in that time and in that situation and he was people would talk about how he would rip the pinky fingers off of kids and then tie them onto uh, leather armor that he had that he wore under his stuff and no, none of these kids had armor how did he get leather armor he killed a militiaman from Trunau that was outranging in the woods by himself, what a piece an adult of shit. militiaman. Exactly, exactly. Total piece of shit. And by the way, terrifying. If you're a six-year-old kid, sure. so Lork is like terrified of this guy, right? This, and you know, in later years, obviously, he would question if like he was actually, you know, if he actually ever killed a militiaman or if he actually ever got any fingers. But legend had it, this is, right. you know, what this guy did. So he kind of stayed away from him. So when Lork was very small, he had a few run-ins with this kid, him and his crew, and any time that he uh, either um, 
whoever was in charge of Lurk's crew or whatever would try to negotiate some sort of settlement, like a fair settlement for like, oh, we, we all stole some food. Let's share it out. We'll parse it out like this. Or if uh, somebody had access to some shelter for in a, during a bad storm or something like that, it'd be like, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, we'll share here and you know we'll sleep outside one night. You sleep outside the other. Like some crews were reasonable. You could negotiate. You could work things out. Not this guy. He always, always would just use his physical dominance to get whatever he wanted and to belittle and demean everybody else. So one time, Lork was one of the kids that he had to, that he decided was going to get a lesson taught to him. Lork uh, was, like I said, he was about six and it was like late at night one night in Trunel and this kid grabbed Lork right in front of his friends and he shoved him up against one of the walls in Trunel, like one of the outer walls. And he just socked him. His six-year-old kid, this kid's like 13, 14, socks Lork as hard as he can in the stomach. And Lork is just, he he can't breathe. Mm -hmm. And the pain is like, he just feels like he's going to die. And then the kid does it again and again and again. And Lork is just looking at his friends standing there watching him. And there's nothing they can do. And, you know, Lork doesn't blame them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kid is, this kid's huge. I mean, this was the bone giant. You know, there's- A possible murderer. Exactly. Like a, a known murderer. Right. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, <laughs> and I just imagine him there like getting hit, looking at his friends. Nobody's helping him. He can see a militiaman like on patrol on a wall across part of the city, but he's out of range of any sort of sound of the beating or anything. Can't hear him. Can't right. help him. N- there's no help coming for him. And the kid wraps up, this big kid wraps up his lesson by smashing his club-sized fist into Lork's mouth. Just bang. One more hit breaks one of his tusks off. One of his little tusks in his jaw snaps off. And Lork hits the ground just right in the mud. You know, I just imagine. Similar to just son, you know, just like left in the mud. He starts to walk away, turns back around, tells the other kids, if I see anybody helping him, I'm going to track you down and I'm going to rip your finger off and add it to my armor. And he walks away just laughing, right? So all the kids scared, they, they leave and Lork just lays there in the mud for an hour, maybe maybe a little more, trying to get his breath back, trying to get the strength to just stand up, you know? Mm-hmm. His face feels like it's like twice the size that it normally is and, and he's, his teeth feel loose and his one tusk he can feel is gone. It's just broken off and he can't find it anywhere, you know? And eventually he gets himself to his feet and he he gets back to his hideout and he and he recovers. You know, over time he recovers mm-hmm. and 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 years and years later, he uh, he gets sent to the Black Arrows. And he learns about an entire race of beings just like this kid. These beings that just use their size and their strength to bully everyone to get whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Ogres, hill giants. This large, lumbering, stupid, senseless, brutish, violent fiends that could get away with the cruelest and most depraved acts of horror just because nobody else is big enough to fight them. Mm-mm. The Black Arrows, though, they're trained for this. They, they train to stand up to these foes on behalf of like the smaller folk, the normal village people, the people that live in these places where they can't stand up for themselves. And if, if no one's going to do it, like somebody has to do it, or these beings are just going to take over the civilized world. So what started as a punishment for Lork being sent to the Black Arrows, it turns out it becomes his passion. He, he excels at it. He's excellent. And the men that he was with became his family. And all of a sudden, he had a sense of community. He had a sense of purpose. He had a sense of right and wrong, you know, where the, he didn't have that before. And... 
you know, if there was any giant that would bring harm to his family, he was not going to be the one standing by and watching it happen just because the thing was big. He had he had the training now and he would fight it. So anyway, I bring that all up to say that's why when that thing, when he found out it had giant's blood, he lost it yeah. and said, I hate giants because it's just the spawn of this whole idea of a culture that is based upon executing what you think is right because you're big and strong, even though you're senseless and stupid and brutish. And so he just kills the thing in two swipes. I couldn't tell. That's why I was overjoyed when we were playing. And I didn't have this. I didn't have this idea while we were playing. I just knew that he hated giants, right? Yeah. It's, his, it's his favorite enemy. Why? And so it was after the fact, and before we recorded this, I was like, you know what? I want to put something together to explain that a little bit more. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, I think it's very interesting. <laughs> and it really feels in, it feeds into this idea that Lork is ultimately fueled by hate. <laughs> and all these people around him that keep dying are just adding more fuel to that hatred fire. And now he's got this belt that makes him rage, which again feeds into that. But... That's a difficult thing as a character because if you're fueled by hate, it's ultimately going to get you into more trouble than it's going to get you into good situations. So yeah. seeing Lork maybe over time uh, rise above that is what's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and, I and mean, if it's possible. That's, it's, I, that's I think, be. is going to be his big struggle, especially because if you come across, you know, like on that patrol, you come across a hill giant, you know, that's that's a no-brainer. They represent the more popular versions of giants that the Black Arrows would fight in the field, you know? Like, they're evil, nasty, selfish, awful creatures, and, uh, and so violent, you know what I mean? What if there is some sort of, I don't know, like a like a cloud giant or something that's like extremely enlightened and an, uh, like a good aligned giant. Lork's never met one. You know, what's he yeah. going to do if he comes across that? I would imagine in Giant Slayer we would at some point. So that is what I wonder if that could that be. That could change his opinion. Or will he die first uh, because his hate led him to uh, make a rash decision? Yeah. That's going to be interesting. I, that's a great story. You know, uh, and we've talked about this before in terms of building characters. You have to go through the nitty-gritty of numbers and feats and stuff like that. And so you have favorite enemy giant, which gives you a plus two or plus now four plus now. four. And that's interesting mechanically, sure. But I like that you've taken a mechanic and built a, store, a backstory as to why. And look, this is 60 episodes in that yeah. you have the story. So you don't have to do this at the, when you start creating your character, you know. Create all the mechanics, and then over time, allow those mechanics to have a, sto a story reason for you. And so I, I applaud you for that. Um, interesting epilogue to that story, at least I think interesting. One of the uh, blacksmiths at the Black Arrows, he started right around the same time as Lork. His name is Fiorin. Uh, came to the Black Arrows around the same time and they trained together but Fjorn was a trained blacksmith so he didn't really go out in the field but right. as a younger blacksmith he his job was to just like make arrowheads like arrowhead after arrowhead after arrowhead right. all day long for the Black Arrows um, but using some of his tools and you know his, his ingenuity he tells Lork that he could craft him a small iron tusk that he could affix to the broken bone where Lork's tusk once was oh. and uh he did it, and soon after, the men of the uh, Black Arrow started calling him Lork the Iron Tusk. Look at that. That's where it came from. I want to know what your real last name is, or has Lork forgot? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all That's right. That's great. Right. That's great, Joe. Cool, man. I'm glad Woo. you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. Well, I, yeah. I hope it, maybe it'll come up in the show sometime. You know, I don't know what happened to this guy, the Bone Giant. I don't know where he is. I don't uh, know if he died. Uh, da, da, da. 
<laughs> Guess I gotta start making up a stat block. <laughs> All right, let's move on to a fan question. How about that? What yeah, do you think? that'd be great. Thing, because um, we already covered the end of the episode. I mean, oh man, that cliffhanger, and more on that next time. We will we, we'll definitely get more on that. And soon, again, I, I got to give a huge kudos for to Galabras for casting silence on that bell. Oh my god, I completely forgot you know, about that. I mean, that. just we, we walked up, they were like, and you were you said to uh, Baron, you're gonna use that gun. It's going to you know, draw Alert attention. Alert before, yeah. And I jokingly said, do you have a silencer? And then Skid was basically, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So smart. Oh, my God. Just the the ingenuity to, to come up with that perfect solution. I mean, it gets him a very rare glass cannon bottle cap, right? You know, which was awesome. So if, sorry, not to get off too off topic, but if he <laughs> didn't cast that, those guys, I mean, you kind of teased it in the episode, but basically those guys go right for the bell and start ringing it. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, what happens then? Do we just all die as characters? Yeah, like I the mean, whole it, fort descends on you? I like, guess the main point that I can say without giving uh, anything real away is that uh, they, you guys went through a lot to sneak into this place and that would immediately have made your presence known. And how that would have affected things? I guess you don't have to worry about finding out. <laughs> it wouldn't have been good. <laughs> Needless to say, it wouldn't have been good. Well, I want to get to a fan question here before we wrap up. We got a great question from April Westervelt. Thank you so much for writing in. She says, if you go through a low, and this is to you, Troy. If you go through a locale such as the Plague House and Mm -hmm. players don't find everything. For example, if we hadn't found the bag of platinum under the coal, that was a DC 25 perception, I think. Oh, way back in Lord World and Natural 20. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Does Troy tell them once that section is done, does he say, quote, dumbasses, you need to do more perception checks because you missed X, Y, or Z? Or will he intentionally lead them to water? Will you lead them to the items they need? Or do you just leave them in blissful ignorance? Troy, your thoughts? Uh, I will say that if it's a story-specific item that you guys basically won't be able to move on without... I've really got to find a way for you guys to find that somehow. Now, if you all roll perception checks and they're, you know, it's like nine, four, three, six, and it was a DC 20, well, then my hands are tied a little bit. So maybe I'll just move it to another room or have it appear on the body of one of the creatures that you kill or something like that. If it's something story specific, I've got to find a way to get it in your hands somehow. Now, if it's just a really cool magical item or a ton of gold and you all miss the perception checks or it's a uh, secret compartment behind a, a... picture frame and it has something in there that's just really cool but not necessarily story specific i have no problem whatsoever with letting you guys just not find it i actually think it's more fun for you not to find it now if i will say down the line say it was uh you know a really cool plus one weapon you know and a couple of dozen or so sessions later you guys haven't found any magical stuff in a while maybe i'll have one of the enemies you fight be wielding that weapon so that you can eventually find it. Um, but uh, yeah, I have no problem with letting you guys just skip over it all. Just pass stuff. Yeah. What about uh, not just items? What about sections? I mean, if you're doing any sort of uh, a dungeon crawl, I mean, look, recent, most recently, the Vault of Thorns, long before that, the Plague House. These are very uh, secretive and mysterious mm-hmm. places that are pretty harrowing in the sense that you can just get scared out of one room or another, or uh, you could have characters die and then you're focus totally shifts no longer are you like uh looking for secret doors like no you're just trying to stay alive do you tell players when they finish when they wrap a dungeon crawl we walk out of the vault there's no way to go back do you say like you missed some really cool stuff in there there was this one guy who was uh, an old wizard that was trapped in there and uh, just, just to tell them how cool the module is or 
do you not say anything? How do, how do you play it? No, I, I do like to tell sometimes, you know, uh, especially if it's a cool story element that they miss. Just like, hey, just so you know, you missed this really cool thing. I will say that... That's kind of what cannon fodder is for, actually, yeah. <laughs> now that I, mean, I think about it. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting. I think we can use this as a forum for me to do things like that. You know, Skid and I are very similar when as players in that we're both completionists. You know, especially when we go into a dungeon, we want to make sure we've gone into every possible room just in case there's magical items and or, you know, or especially story elements that you want to get everything. And I am not like that at all. You're not like that at all, you know? And I don't think Grant is... I just push either. forward yeah. on the plot. That's what I want to do. Um... I will say, I think by the time you have uh, finished with Red Lake Fort in one way or another, depending on how it all shakes out, it will be virtually impossible for you to have dis- discovered everything in the fort. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I know that uh, if Skid's listening to this right now, he's going to be furious. <laughs> Because that would and that would drive me nuts. But I think it would be it would be virtually impossible. There's just too too many options. That's that's the beauty of the sandbox. So, but I'll uh, be happy to tell you what you missed later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess we'll hear about that in uh, Cannon Fodder episode 34 when we get out of the fort. <laughs> anyway, we are grossly over time because of my story that you did not know was coming. But uh, so hey, you we know, got to wrap it up. But I think the longer the better with these. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Now, once we find out about more uh, more about what's going on in the fort. Uh, we'll definitely have more to talk about. So what do you say we do a cannon fodder next week? Uh, I'll do one more. One more? I'll do one more. All right. I am really excited for next episode. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to see <laughs> it.